Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. All right, Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. We're in uh, this series called When the Dust Settles. This is all about what happened in the early church when Jesus died, rose again, and ascended into heaven. When the dust settled, what did they do? That's what we're looking at here, and we find ourselves today in Acts chapter 4. And I'm going to read uh, several verses here, starting in verse 5. So if you, if you want to turn there and join us, it'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible today. And we're going to read here in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 5. Before I do that, <laughs> let me set the scene really quick. You remember last week we saw that Peter and John were walking through into the temple and they saw at the gate there was a man that was lame from birth. He was 40 years old and he couldn't walk. He hadn't been able to walk his whole life. And Peter and John stopped and spoke to him and actually brought him to his feet and in Jesus' name healed him. And for the first time in his life, he was able to walk. And he ran around the, the, the temple. He's running around through the gate and he's praising God and he's thanking God for the miracle that happened. And the people there were amazed and astounded. And the Bible said that 5,000 were added to their number that day when they heard the word and believed and watched this man be saved both physically and spiritually. And so this happens and Peter's there and he's preaching and John's with him and the rulers arrest Peter and John and take them into prison because they don't want this to happen anymore. They wanted to calm down the crowd. And so Peter and John spend the night in prison and they don't know what's about to happen. And this is where we pick it up in Acts chapter four, verse five. Are we ready for the second time now? Because I got ahead of myself, but I wanted to paint that picture and set the scene. Verse five, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. This is, these are the big wigs, if you will. The most powerful in the day are all gathered together. And when they had set them, the disciples, in the midst, sort of in the middle of all of this, they inquired and they asked them, by what power or by what name did you do this? Well, by, by what power, by what name did you heal this man? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, this is his favorite phrase, whom God raised from the dead by him, this man is standing before you well. And this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. He's referencing an Old Testament text there and bringing it to their mind, which they would have known very, very well. This is the Jesus that was prophesied about that you have rejected. And look at verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no name, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been 
with Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. I'm titling this message today because Coach Chris Guthrie wants me to have titles, so I'm titling this message today, The Greatest Compliment. Because I think that the greatest compliment that you can ever be given as a Christian is, it's obvious that you have been with Jesus. And on this day, as the disciples were there and Peter was bold before them to speak, that was their response. Uneducated, common men, it's obvious that they've been with Jesus. Now, don't miss the scene here. It's, 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 it's kind of like the supreme court. Okay, so all the religious elites and the powerful uh, decision makers are gathering in the court, in the Sanhedrin, and they bring Peter and John, and they put them right in the middle. And, and they're, they're purposefully creating this tense environment for them to, be, to feel the pressure, right? To feel the heat. They're sitting right in the middle of the kitchen, you know, if you can't handle the heat. And they're right in the middle of that. And the rulers and the elders and all of the high priestly family is gathered around them to question them. And their question is, by what power or by what name was this man healed? And then as we just read, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter filled with the Holy... There it is. He he was... Filled with the Holy. Okay, they recognized that he had been with Jesus. He was bold. He was confident. He was in the middle of this intense, pressure-packed moment. But there's the point. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. This was the means by which he was confident. This was how he was able to stand there and be bold before them. This is the key. Peter, don't miss this, he had walked with Jesus physically, he had talked with Jesus physically, he had been there with him for for three years, just every chance he could get, he he was physically with Jesus. How amazing. And on this day, Jesus was not physically with him, but he was spiritually in him by the Holy Spirit. And on this day, we see a greater transformation. You remember when Jesus said, it's better that I go away from you because I need to send a helper and it will be better for you. You you will do greater things when the Holy Spirit is in you. Somehow, it's to your advantage. Jesus taught us that. It's to your advantage that I go away and the Holy Spirit come. This is an example of that. Although they had been walking with Jesus beside them, now they were walking with Jesus inside of them and the transformation was obvious this inward communion with the father by the holy spirit because of jesus and what his sacrifice accomplished it was obvious that they had been with him and this same inward fellowship spiritual communion is possible for us today as well it's possible 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 and 18. I love this text. Look at it with me here on the screen. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You know this one, right? Do you have a coffee cup? I saw one coffee cup. Everybody else didn't want to just admit to it. You got a t-shirt? Only one coffee cup. 
No t-shirts. We know this verse. This is a great verse. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. Freedom for what? This is what I like to ask when I read scripture, especially verses that are very, very well known. What, freedom for what? What are we talking about here? What's the context around this verse? What is Paul writing about? For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face. So, so there's nothing in between for us to be able. So now we can see because there's no veil in the way. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. No veil so we could see the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this is only possible from the Lord who is the Spirit. Freedom for what? Freedom ultimately to be transformed into the same image of the one who is the express image of the invisible God. My uncle Scott told me to get excited today. He didn't realize it wasn't going to be hard. <laughs> the same image of the express image of the invisible God. That's the purpose of the freedom. We, we, we're set free by the Spirit ultimately to be transformed into his image and it's possible now because the veil has been removed so we can behold his glory from from one degree of glory to another we're being transformed into the same image some of you have stories where it was like Paul at the road to Damascus where the light came and he was blinded and God met him there and Jesus was there with him and, and, and you knew in that moment it was a 180 for you. Like your, your testimony, some of you, is just a total 180. And it was in that moment that everything changed for you. Others of you, it's a little harder to piece your testimony together like that. Some of you have grown up in church and it was a little more gradual Does that mean that you didn't have a moment with Jesus where you were saved and transformed? Absolutely not. You did have a moment, if you're saved by grace through faith, where you placed your trust in him and you were forgiven of your sins. Your moment just might not have looked the same as somebody else's moment. But here's what I want to tell you. Even for Paul, who had a road to Damascus 180 moment, and for some of you who share a similar miracle, even for you, The transformation that takes place spiritually as you walk with Jesus by the Spirit is from one degree of glory to another. Every day being renewed in the mind by the Scriptures and by the Holy Spirit. We're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. This is how he's designed it so that it will be a relationship. And it wouldn't be a one-time revival experience and then go on about your life doing whatever you want to do. No, no, no. Maybe your story begins with a revival experience, but I can promise you that being sanctified happens as you walk with him continually. We're going to get to that. I'm going to unpack it a little more. But Peter said, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. You know what I love about this word saved is it's the same Greek word that we find in verse 9 for healed. So the man, the lame man who was healed, that's the same word that we find here 
for saved. In other words, this man was physically healed, but really, he was spiritually saved. That that the same God who is able to physically heal is also, and more importantly, concerned about a spiritual healing, a spiritual salvation. And there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There's no other name. There's no other way. There, there is no other alternative. It's almost like Peter's echoing what Jesus taught in John chapter 14. You remember John 14 verse 6. That Jesus said to him that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man, no one, no man, no woman, comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is no other way except through. And you may say, well, that's incredibly exclusive. That, that's, that doesn't sound very inviting. I thought we were an inclusive church that just opened our doors wide for everyone to come in. You're right. We do that. We are absolutely open wide for anyone to come and hear about the grace and mercy of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. But the way to the Father is marked, it's clear, and it's exclusive. There is one way. And this isn't a popular thing today. This hasn't ever really been a popular thing, to be quite honest. Every religion is trying to make a case for their way. And a lot of schools of thought today and historically are trying to make a case for the fact that there are many paths to eternal life. Jesus did not teach that. The Bible does not teach that. That feels very exclusive, probably difficult to hear if we really sink into what it means. Maybe you've heard things from your friends or family or the world around you like, how dare you tell me that what I believe is a lie and what you believe is true? How dare you, Christian, tell me that I'm going to hell unless I believe what you believe? How dare you? Who are you to tell me? Pompous, entitled intolerant, narrow-minded. Oh, your, your faith is just so narrow-minded. Maybe you've heard that. I've heard that. How dare you? Who are you to, to think that you can say? But in reality, think about this for a moment. In reality, if what we, if what we believe is true, how dare we keep it from the lost world around us. If Jesus died on the cross for your sin so that if you turn from your sin and turn towards Jesus and asked him to forgive you and save you from that sin, that you would have eternal life, how dare I not tell you that? 
If it's true that there really is no other way, that it's not like, oh, they'll come around to it eventually. Maybe they'll get through it from a back door and God will be merciful there. If it's true that there's only one way and his name is Jesus, how dare I keep that truth from you? How dare we? And the truth is that as soon as we make it any different than that, as soon as we make it any different than that, we're preaching a false gospel. We're misleading people. And the path we're misleading them down ends in eternal destruction and damnation separated from God. That's the truth. There is a real hell. And the wages of sin is death ultimately to be punished for eternity. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Him and Him alone is the free gift of God. We cannot do it on our own. We can't manage a resume that we can put before God one day and hope for the best. But we can trust in Him and His finished work, His resume, when we stand before Him on that day. How dare I not tell you that? Jesus illustrated similar in Matthew chapter 7. Maybe you've heard this scripture from Matthew 7 verses 13 and 14. This is a scary one. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. There's there's a wide gate. And then there's a narrow gate. The wide one's easy. The narrow one's hard. The wide one's got a big old crowd going in. And a lot of times it's going to look like the right way because everybody's doing it. The narrow way doesn't have room for a big old crowd. And, and it's, it's much harder to get through. Enter by the narrow gate. How do you enter by the narrow gate? By faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Just place your trust in him. And when you get to that gate and they ask you how you're going to be let in, you just point to Jesus. He invited me here. He invited me. I'm not here based on anything that I have done or could do. I'm here because of what he's done. And he invited me. And most days I don't feel like I'm worthy to enter into this difficult, narrow gate. I don't even know how I made it on this narrow road to get to this narrow gate. I guess he just carried me all the way. You don't have to know the answers. You just have to know the Savior. There's no other way to salvation. There's no other way to peace. There's no other way to joy. There's no other way to truth. There's no other way to life. And that may feel unpopular. It may feel like something that's difficult to communicate. But I promise you, it's the greatest news in the history of the world. And we should carry it with confidence. Verse 13 of Acts chapter 4. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time together today. You're going to be thrilled when you've got... So much time left in your morning before you go to lunch. Somewhere other than Long Street, I guess. I don't know. I still don't know where y'all go eat up here. <laughs> or in Oakwood. Oakwood goes to Big Burrito. I know where Oakwood goes, right next door. But I don't know where y'all go to lunch. We'll figure that out later. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. 
Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I love that. It's like a slap in the face, but then the greatest compliment in the history of the world. They don't understand. They're not educated. They haven't been trained in the rabbinical schools. They weren't trained to be teachers in the day. They weren't trained as theologians. How did they do what they just did? Oh, they've been with Jesus. It's obvious. They've been with Jesus. Two simple, common fishermen who didn't go to normal school, just stood before us, the most powerful and elite Supreme Court, and delivered a message that's turning the world upside down. I think the Sanhedrin here that certainly was expecting Peter and John to be intimidated and unable to deliver anything before them. They expected them to be shaking and, and maybe wilting under the pressure. This is the same place where Jesus stood a few weeks before, before he was condemned to death. Surely they're going to crumble. Surely they're going to stumble over their words or their explanation of what Jesus did and who he is and how this man was healed. And we'll be able to spin their words against them and pin them in a corner. We've got this. Maybe the high priestly family had a little powwow in the back before they came up before him. I'm picturing this like a deposition before the Supreme Court, Congress. Uneducated, common men. Some of you might feel today like you're unqualified or untrained, not ready, not, not worthy, not able to carry the message of the gospel to your friends and your family. Maybe some of you today have a family member who is very combative and argumentative and, and difficult to talk with because he or she is actually very smart. And maybe you're going to be with them later, later this week or sometime soon, and you know that when you get there, they don't believe the gospel, and they're going to be argumentative. And if you get in a conversation with them, they're probably going to have better words to say, and you're scared even right now. Like the more we talk about speaking the words of the gospel in the Bible, you're like, that's not me. That's for you to do, preacher. That's for another preacher to do. That's not me. I'm not able. I'm not capable. I'm not qualified. What separates us as Christians is not our professionalism, our training, our intellectual qualifications. We're certainly trying to train and understand better the word of God and how to make a defense for that of which we believe. Yes, we're doing that, but that's not what separates us. What separates us is the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us, being filled. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke The physician is taking account of this story and that's what he chose to put right there at the beginning before Peter opened his mouth. He wanted to make sure that we knew that what separated Peter was in fact that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and we have that same access today. We can trust him as well. And we can trust that he will give us what we need. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is bringing to our remembrance all the things that Jesus has taught. 
And, and when we're in situations where we're in need, desperate need of words, and we don't know what to speak, and we're afraid that we don't have enough training, the Holy Spirit is there to help us, and it's amazing. Can I tell you from experience, it's amazing. When you put yourself out there, you might be scared to death. But when, when, you, when the person across from you needs to hear a word from the Lord, it will come from your lips if you've been with Jesus and the Holy Spirit is in you. I don't know how it happens, but I believe it because I've seen it. I've experienced it. And this is what the Bible tells us time and time again. That he'll bring it to our remembrance. That he'll use us. That we're just vessels. That we don't have to be the most talented in the world. We don't have to be Billy Graham. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. I find it really interesting that the earliest Christians didn't decide to call themselves Christians. But it was the world around them that named them Christians. In Acts, in other places, we find that they're, they called themselves the people of the way. It's pretty, pretty great. But the world around them watched and looked and saw, and, and they named them Christians, which really was uh, specifically meaning little Christs, like many Christs. And most of the time, they meant that as a derogatory term. They were kind of putting them down, like they're not ever going to be, you know, they're just, you're, you're just like a wannabe Christ, a little mini Christ. But regardless of how they meant to say it, they were recognizing that they had been with Jesus. Surely this is our greatest compliment. Not that we would be educated, not that we would be trained well, not that we would have the most eloquent message to deliver not that we have a voice like michael's my goodness not that we have a voice like jennifer my goodness not like that we had been with jesus dl moody evangelist pastor wonderful preacher said this, our great problem is the problem of trafficking an unlived truth. We try to communicate what we've never experienced in our own life. Yeah, just out here trafficking and unlived truth. Have you been with Jesus? That's the question. The greatest compliment is not that you're awesome. The greatest compliment is, I recognize you've been with Jesus. Have you been with Jesus? Have you ever been with somebody who is just so obvious they've been with Jesus? Have you ever been with somebody that when they talk to you about the Bible and what they're studying, it's so natural. It's, it's like they're just walking with Jesus. I remember riding in the truck with my granddad, who's still alive. I was with him yesterday. His, his health is declining. But we used to, I used to ride with him on deliveries, and we'd be in the truck together, and he'd just be talking. He's, he's Jared, 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 I was reading this earlier today, and, and Jesus was, was teaching me this. And when I was walking through the Psalms, Jesus was, was walking with me there. And, and when, I was, when I was listening in the quiet place as I was praying, it, Jesus was 
was speaking to me. And, and he's talking about his quiet time, but he's talking about it so relationally and so naturally. He wasn't coming to this book to get a new insight that he could teach somebody else. He was just walking with Jesus. Have you ever been somebody, have you ever been with somebody like that? That it just flows out of them what they've been studying. As if Jesus was literally speaking to them right through the page. That's the point of this, you know. We, we can turn to any page in the Bible and see Christ. From cover to cover, this is, spoiler alert, all about him. It all points to him. He's central. He's preeminent. It's, it's here. It, you just got to look for him. And the Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance and illuminates the truth from the text. And, and the more you do that consistently, the more you, it becomes more natural to you, almost like you're just walking with him. Can I tell you, we have the same access. I don't have a different access than you have if you're in Christ. If the Holy Spirit is in you, we have the same access. Look at Romans 5. Verse 1, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, so if we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with a holy, righteous God. The holy, righteous God through whom we have gained access. I don't know if you underline in your Bible, that'd be a really good word or circle it or something. Access. How? By faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We have access. Who? We, Christians. If you've been justified by faith, you have peace with God and you have access. Ordinary access. He's made it possible for you to have Every day, ordinary. Think about this for a moment with me, please, as we prepare to close. When you go to your place of work tomorrow, you can access the holy God. When you go to your kid's baseball game, and I know some of y'all have been yelling on the sidelines, but you can access him there too. Y'all don't yell? Okay, great. Just me? ordinary every day this means that I don't have to come to the temple to access God this means that I don't have to to shower myself with the blood of rams and goats like they did in the old testament to access God no because of Jesus because the veil has been torn we can now come by faith and in the grocery store we can pray to God do we think this way do we walk this way lying in bed at night Struggling, access. Early in the morning, getting up, thinking about all that your agenda holds for the day. What do you have? Access. Just the same. Fishing on the lake. Y'all already knew that. That's, that's, what you, that's what you tell your wife you're doing, accessing the Holy Spirit on the lake. Good place. <laughs> Thomas, is that you? No. 
access. Ordinary, every day. When you go to the gym, when you go to class, when you go to the store, you go to the game, access. Nothing is stopping you from being with Jesus. Every day, ordinary. This is possible, and this is what he wants. We get so fascinated with the extraordinary, the supernatural. Show me a sign, God. Let me me see that you're real. Let me know that you're there. Let's have a revival. Let's have a... Some of these things are good. We want to have services where the Holy Spirit is clear and present and and obvious. and, And these are good things. But what about the ordinary, everyday walking with Him? Do you ever think... Do you ever notice that the apostles didn't plan this healing service? Like they didn't put it on the calendar and say, on this day we're going to walk and we're going to look for somebody who needs to be healed and we're going to run a campaign, a word of mouth marketing campaign. We don't have social media. We're going to run a word of mouth and we're going to get 5,000 people there to see this miraculous event happen. This is what we're going to do today. They're just walking by the Spirit, ordinary, everyday access. What, what could God do through you if you submitted to the consistent, ordinary, everyday access? I believe if we can become content with the ordinary, everyday means of walking with Jesus, the Holy Spirit will turn ordinary things into extraordinary things. The question is, are we content with being consistent in our everyday activities with Him? Are we content to bring Him into the everyday ordinary things? I think our temptation is to look at this story of Peter and John and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They, they literally were with him. Like that, that they, and we put them on a pedestal. Like We could never be what they were because we didn't have the same physical experience. First of all, I want to remind all of us that this is the same Peter who denied Jesus three times. This is the same Peter who denied him because he was scared of this very moment. He was afraid that they would bring him before the court and question him. And because of that fear and how the fear gripped his heart, he shied away, cowered away, and denied even knowing Jesus. But after Jesus forgave him and set him in motion as the rock that the church would be built on, on this day, the Holy Spirit gripped his heart and he was probably afraid but boldness came out of him because he was filled with the Holy Spirit and the transformation that we see here in Peter can be possible for us today as well it's the same opportunity the veil has been torn there is nothing in the way anymore you can pull up a chair you can climb in the truck You can nestle up close to the creator of all things and listen. Just listen. I need you. I need you every hour. You remember that song? I need thee. Oh, I need thee. 
Every hour, I, do we have this desperation? Do we have this, this hopeful neediness before the one who can give all things? I need you, Lord. Every hour, I need you. I have nowhere else to turn. Do you remember that old verse? I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. I need thee. I need you every hour. Stay near. Stay nearby. The temptations seem to lose their power when you're near. I need you. Oh, I need you. This is the posture of the Christian. The closer we get to God by the Spirit, the more we realize our need for Him. You don't outgrow this dependence and desperation. And so here in Gainesville and in Oakwood, we're about to have an opportunity to respond in that way posture our hearts in that way I'm going to hand it off to Pastor Greg in Oakwood we love you guys so much and we'll see you real soon have a great week but I wonder where you are today and how this ordinary everyday opportunity to meet with the creator and sustainer of life how that hits you, where that lands for you. And even if you're close to him, even if you're walking with him, you know the desperation is still there. The dependency is still there. And so I want to invite you in this moment as we sing, and we're going to sing about how much we need him. And in this moment, I want to invite you to to posture your heart in that way. Maybe you come to the altar. Maybe it's in your seat. Maybe it's just standing in worship. But come before a holy God, recognizing that by faith you have access to Him. And He's here to meet you. The Bible says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. I'm believing that for you right now. And I want to pray that as we begin to sing. Father God in heaven, we need you. We need you. Every hour we need you. And God, I know, I believe, I trust your promise that as we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. So right now, God, I pray across this room that hearts would be drawing near to you and that they would experience you drawing near to them. That you would give them exactly what they need. I don't know what they need, but you do, and I trust it. So as we posture ourselves in dependence before you, come and shower your mercy, your grace, your love on us, your children. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand all across this room as we, as we pray and sing. Feel free to move in this moment. Feel free to respond. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect, you can head over to our website riverbendchurch.life.